In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. When I went into that room and I was laying down and the window was facing to the southeast, I saw what me and my brother used to call the walking stick walk out on the roof in broad daylight. And I'm like maybe a quarter of the block away from her. And I'm thinking to myself, don't she know that they'll kill her if they see her? And it's like she heard my thoughts and she swivels her head toward me and looks, looks right at me through the window from the rooftop that she's on and says, I'll just simply make them not look at me. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, Go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. I first met Posey Gilbert in New York City at the New Yorker Hotel back in October, and uh, just an incredibly uh, sincere, likable, knowledgeable, well-spoken uh, individual, and as I say, a well-known UFO experiencer. He's appeared on national and local TV, in newspapers, at conferences, uh, talking about his many experiences and his videos of UFOs over mid-Brooklyn. 
He's also a talented musician, writer, filmmaker. He was the co-producer along with the late and equally gifted Carolyn uh, Barnes of the Space Bridge cable TV show over 10 years. He is co-founder of the Moonstruck Group in uh, New York City for fellow experiencers. Posey Gilbert, how are you? I'm fine. I'm glad to be here, too. Take me back to your childhood and give me sort of the Reader's Digest version, your first encounter with ETs. Okay, well, I can go back to when I was two years old. I'm 62 now. Basically, it began there when I really noticed something was wrong. To put it quickly, it was a fight between me and my older sister. She wanted to see some teen program. I wanted to see some cartoons. I lost the battle, of course. And she was watching her teen dance show, and I went over to the window, and I was making as much noise as I could to disturb her. All of a sudden, from a clear night sky, starts falling a turquoise snow. At least it looked like snow, but it was glowing. And as it fell on the windowsill, it disappeared. And I just thought it was beautiful, so I called him, uh, my sister, Teresa. That's my older sister, my older brother, Chuck. Oh, come look, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty. Chuck takes a look at it and says, oh, no, they're coming back. And at that instant, I looked at the sky. And even then, at two years old, I was wondering why I was looking at the sky. At that moment, Chuck just lost his mind and started screaming, they're coming back. I turned to my sister and asked her, who's coming back? And she went pale as a ghost, just started grabbing Chuck and shaking him. And he couldn't come out of it. That moment, she ran upstairs to get my mother, who was upstairs paying our, our daytime base babysitter, and brought him back, brought her back down. But by the time they came back down, this stuff stopped falling. As soon as it stopped falling, Chuck came out of it. Now that was so long ago. I began to think maybe that was just a dream that I had. I was led by well, I'll say by a lady, a voice a woman's voice, to a bookstore in my 30s. She said, go in there, there's something for you. I go into the store, there's all these expensive books. I don't have like $100 to spend on a table book. As I'm walking out, there's a little box next to the door, and it says, Fate Magazines, 50 cents. I said, well, this must be it. And I open it up, and it opens up to a page that says, Fall of the blue snow. Whoa. So I take a quick look at it, and I see that it says, in 1953, there was a fall of a glowing blue snow. And immediately, I paid my little 50 cent and went and read the article. That was in Brooklyn, the, fa the falling snow? You were in Brooklyn at the time? I originally was, I'm originally from the Bronx. Okay, the Bronx, okay. At that moment, I said, then that wasn't a dream. So I called up my brother, and I asked, I said, um, Chuck, do you remember the time that that blue snow began to fall? And his answer was, you remember that? You were just a baby then. I said, yeah, but it was real. He says, yes, it was real. And I said, well, who's coming back? He went silent. And all he would ever do when I asked that is he would go silent, and then he'd make this funny little grin and make a shrug. So then I started, that's when I knew that, okay, if that was real, there's a whole lot of other little things that I thought were dreams as I was growing up. Okay, my so... My mother taught us they were dreams, but I later, my, and when I was in my 40s, my mother had, had later confessed that she saw the same entities that 
I saw growing up. So take me from uh, from the age of two to your next sort of vivid memory of, okay, an, of an encounter. Okay, vivid memory is this is a daytime encounter. I'm cutting it short. I was six years old. I know I was six because I started school at seven. I was at home with my younger brother, Ralph. He's a, you know, my Irish twin. My mother, we know, had called us to have our lunch. And because me and Ralph would always um, talk during nap time, and we wouldn't go to sleep. We normally end up getting a spanking. She didn't like to do this, so she separated us. I finished my lunch first. She sends me into my sister Teresa's room, and then she sends my babe, my younger brother Ralph, up into the her and my father's room, which was separated by the boys' rooms, which was normally our bedroom. I finished first. I'm going, you know, walking to the bedroom. And I'm, you know, basically cussing my mother under my breast, murmuring under my breast that um, I'll be glad when I go to school and I haven't got to take a nap every day. And I walk into my sister's room, and I'll just tell it the way it was. Sitting at the top of the bed, like on the bed, that bed headboard, were two little silhouettes. They were about my size, but they had big heads and long arms, long fingers. They had four fingers. But they were like silhouettes. It wasn't like a shadow. It was like if you would go to touch them, you would actually fall into them. At the bottom of the bed, there sat one up on the bed. And it, too, looked just like them. And I just stopped at the door. And it's like when they saw me, they jumped up like they were shocked that I could see them. And they began to run around the room so fast that they became like a blur but they were moving so fast, it's like I could hear their clothes flapping, you know, in the breeze they were making. This is the middle of the day. This is the middle of, this is 12 o'clock. Understand, the the windows, a bedroom, the wind, her, you know, was a small room, so her bed was like right in front of the window. Right. And the window shade was up, and it was golden sunshine, new tie sunshine coming through the window. And they converged on the window. And the window makes a noise like, shoof. it goes completely black, like a silhouette, like I'm looking at a black uh, rectangle. Right. And you get the sense of vertigo, because it's like you're looking down a long black hole, and actually there's the air in the room is like being drawn into it. They went into this blackness, like, shoo, shoo, shoo. And I grabbed hold to the bed because I thought I was going to be sucked in. So I'm holding onto the bed, and all of a sudden the window goes, shoo. And I can see the outside again. And like I always did, any time I had something weird happen to me, I would always go to my mother. <clears throat> Mom never made it hard for me to talk about anything. So all in one breath, I go to the kitchen. I say, um, Mom, actually mother is what I always called her. Mother, how come when I went into Reese's room, there was three little black men in there, and they were all black, and they ran, they jumped up, and they ran around so fast, and then they ran through the window, and the window turned into a big black square. I said square because I didn't know the difference between the rectangle. A big black square, and they were sucking the air in the room, and I thought I was going to go into the window, so I grabbed the bed, and then all of a sudden the, the, black, rec, the black square disappeared, and then everything was normal again. My mother just looks at me and says, um... That's nice. Don't tell your father. He'll think you're crazy. Go into your room and go to bed. Now, my room, 
the thing about the way the house was arranged, from the kitchen to the, my sister's room, all the windows faced directly east. But because there was an air shaft there and there was a factory next door, a factory roof next door. Seems like, Posey, before we get back to your story, your whole family has been, uh, need, can I use the word targeted? Uh, it's been in the family line. It goes all the way. It go like they would have all the stories that, like my father's side of the family, they were Cherokee. My mother's side of the family, they were Germans. All right. You know, my grandfather was German. My mother, my grandmother was black. My grand, my grandfather from my father's side was actually African. He was a, actually brought over as a slave, and his wife was pure Cherokee. And they all had stories. They all had these stories, and they but they called them hints and um, spirits and demons. But you used to call them window the same things. You used to call them window peepers. I remember when I met yes. you in New York. You didn't even you didn't want to go by the window. You still have a, a problem going by a window, sitting by a window. Yes, I do. I can understand why, Posey. Um, even there in the day, even like I say, if you see my home, um, there's no way you can look in from the outside. Now, uh, even in the daytime. Okay, take me back to the to when you were six and you just had this encounter with these three. Uh, like, three well, little. My mother gave them the name Quick Shadows. That's what she would call them. Quick Shadows. Everybody knows them. Some people call them Shadow People now, but right. my mother called them Quick Shadows. They're, you've probably seen them yourself. You'll see something move out of the corner of your eye. Yes. And then when you turn, it's gone. That's why she calls them quick shadows. Yes. But if you see them in the blackness, she called them gray shadows. Okay. Because they're a little bit faintly gray, grayer than the background. What leads you to believe that these were not just interdimensional beings, these were extraterrestrials? Well, see, I, that's what I say. I don't necessarily say that they're ex, exo, um, extraterrestrials. Okay. I call them exodimensionals. And because we can't really tell because... Even if they're extraterrestrial, they're using dimensional doors to get here. They're not flying through all of that space. No, that is a problem. I've seen actually up in the Bronx, in the company of 50 other people, we saw a portal open in a clear night sky to reveal another sky that had a lighter sky than our sky. And out of that sky came a huge, what looked like a moon, which danced around and then expanded. That same sighting, we also saw this, what I call a plasma craft. Back then, I didn't know what to call it because it looked like a cloud with right angles. But you can actually see this cloud because somebody photographed it. It was photographed from the sky lab above mm. the Earth. When we saw it, it was down low to the Earth. Had you, have you ever been taken aboard a craft? Okay, yes, and I say yes and no because my mother, see, what you got to understand is my mother constantly told me that they were dreams. She was protecting you? Yes. Only when I was 40 did she finally explain that she saw these same things and had the same kinds of experiences. What was that like when she finally, and we'll get back to the craft in a second here, but what mm -hmm. was that like when you were 40 and she finally sat you down and said, Posey, you weren't dreaming these things, these things happened. How, how did that affect you? I got mad as hell. I said, why, if you knew that I wasn't, I wasn't dreaming, why didn't you tell, why did you tell me it was a dream? And her explanation was, I have a little boy in the room that's crying and won't go to sleep because he says there's the devil's under his bed. What am I going to do, walk in there and tell you, yes, the devil's under your bed, now go to sleep. 
Right, right. Makes sense. I couldn't say any more to that. No, no. And she had been taught the same way by my grandmother. Don't talk about it. And she didn't even know that her sisters were experiencing it until her grandmother, until basically she was talking about me to one of my one of my aunts. Um, she, you know, like my grandmother never would go to sleep with a light out. She always had the radio on. When they got TVs, she always had the TVs on. When my mother came to visit me and I was living by myself, she noticed the same thing. And when she was going back to Virginia, she stopped off at her sister's house in Washington. And, you know, she had a small home, so she had to sleep in the same bed with her. And she tells my mother, I'm sorry, Maddie, but I don't ever sleep with the lights off and with the TV off. And my mother just flippantly, because that's the way she was about it, says, oh, are you like Butch? That's my nickname. Are you like Butch? You see them little men, too? And my aunt looked at it and says, Butch sees them also? And she just broke down and started telling my mother about how she would see him. And when she told, as they call it, um, Sam, that was my grandmother's name, when I told Sam about it, she said for me to shut up and don't ever mention it to anybody but her. So she didn't. They didn't talk about it amongst themselves. They only talked about it to to my grandmother, who told each of them never to talk about it because people will think they're crazy. Okay, let's get back to the uh, the craft, um, you, which you believe you may have been taken aboard. Okay, that was I believe to have been a, a mass abduction because um, it would took it took place over two nights, and again I thought it was a dream because that's the way I was raised. Um, all this dream consisted of was I woke up in my house. There was nobody there. I heard a bunch of noise in the street. I went to the house looking for my family. There was eight of us. Nobody was in the house. I go down to the street, and I see everybody's in the line. You have policemen and anybody in, like, uh, authority. They were standing on the side, and they would just push. Like, I walk up to a policeman and said, what's happening and he just pushes me in the line and says move along and that's all uh, that's all they did and for their whole first dream which consisted of me being in this line walking you know one 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 i never saw where we were going at the end of the until i got to the corner of the first dream you know yes you're out there I on the street in your pajamas the and there is something that looks like a uh a gigantic orange, orange yellow mushroom in um, Claremont Park, and I could see that's where we were all going. And that's um, when I got to the gate where it was my turn to go in. I looked up, and there was what me and my brothers call saurians. Now, this is a word. Understand, this is the fifties. People weren't talking like this in the fifties. I called, me and my brothers called it saurians because we thought they were dinosaurs that had evolved ah. into intelligent things. Reptilians. Yeah, that's what people say, but like I said, still to this day, I'll call them a saurian. Okay. And um, the thing about it, people say that they hate us. They don't hate us. They consider us as younger siblings, but they don't like us because we're spoiled. They say we stink and we foul up the mother. We're killing our mother. That's what they don't like, what we're doing to the earth, because they're from here, too. So me being my little fresh self, I told them, you better not be here tomorrow. 
because when when uh, Air Force sees you, they're going to blow you up. And he looks at me and he says, we'll just simply shift into another dimension where they can't see us, but we can see you. And that's where that dream ended. The next night, now, if it was just a dream, dreams don't begin like this. From the next night, I'm right there again, and he pushes me and says, move along. And I step onto this big craft. And as I walk into it, it's even bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And I remember I'm put on, I don't know how I got there. I'm suddenly put on a table. I'm completely naked. And it's like uh, plastic. It's not, it's cold, but it's not like, it's not like metal cold. It's like plastic, hard plastic. But if you try to move, it's like you're stuck to a magnet. And across from me, there's a white young man. Now, my parents approved. I never saw my mother or my father naked that I can remember. They never talked about sex. That's not something. You learn it when you grow up. That's the way they were. That's the 50s. That's it. That's it. Well, also, they're from the country, and that was the way they were down there, strict. Right, right. Well, I'm looking over at this guy, and not to be crude, I'm seeing how swollen his dimensions are, and I'm shocked that, first of all, we can get like that, but this guy had red hair. It was the only first time I ever saw a real person with real red hair, but I didn't know that we had red hair, hair down there, and uh, that would be red, too. Right. And he was yelling at them. Because they were, you know, moving things over, and, he, and they was yelling at him. He says, he's just a baby. Leave him alone. And then he tells me, he says, whatever you do, fight them. Don't ever get into him. Because he was like me. seemed like everybody else was just under this, this mode where they, you just did what they said. He could talk to them. And he was telling me to fight them, fight them, fight them. Don't speak to them. Don't give them any answers. Don't tell them anything. And... Like they're moving between us, and like one comes between me, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm curious. I said, is everybody here? Because I wanted to know where my parents were. And they said, all the people on the west side of the Grand, of the Third um, Avenue Express, that's a, it used to be an old subway system, elevated subway system to going through the Bronx, come to Claremont Park, all on to the east of that, Go to Katona Park. Okay. I, you know, then I asked, why is your ship so funny? Because he says, what, you know, like, what do you mean funny? And I guess he didn't understand my term. But I said, why is it bigger on the inside than it is on the outside? And he laughed. He says, oh, this is not a ship. He says, we make an envelope between the dimensions. And we travel in that. When you see it, you call it a ship, but it's not a ship. It's an envelope. Now, how were they communicating with you, Posey? Telepathically? Were they actually... Well, see, the thing of it is, I just remember I would ask the question, and I know the thing was big because I couldn't see its face. And thank God I didn't. I probably would have died, you know? But it was like it was answering me. But it was big. It was very tall, you know? And I don't think it was like... It wasn't like the little gray guys. I think it was one of the mantises, because normally the mantises are in the control of the little guys. And it was, it was just very, anything I asked it, it was just, it kind of thought I was funny in a way, because of my, I was so, you know, 
I was rather than being scared, I was just asking so many questions. And uh, so you're, what were you on? Sort of an examination table? What were they doing yes. to you? What did they do now, to you? Now, the trick of it is, like, I got to see the trick of the way, uh, the way I have to do it so that I know that it wasn't a dream. Let's jump 30 years into the future, right? I'm like 36 years old. I finally met the space group about abductions and all of this. And I met some people that used to live in the Bronx. And one of the young ladies, she lived on the east side. And they were just talking about their experiences. We hadn't mentioned anything about it. She was just, she was just you know, like the way the group was. You'd come in and you'd tell your experience and people would listen. All right. This is the Moonstruck group. Now, this is the space group, which the Moonstruck group evolved out of. Okay. And the Moons, this group actually came from Whitney Stryber's group, the um, communion group. Yes. Well, this young lady comes in and she talks about this thing that happened to her in the Bronx. She used to talk about how these little black things would come down through the, from the roof and come into the bedroom and get her. And she once started talking about there was something in the, it's a, it's a lake in Katona Park called Indian Lake, and there's a rock there. What everybody wonders about this big rock is somebody carved, it's a boulder, but somebody carved steps into it. But why do you need to step on a boulder that's not going anywhere? Right. Well, she says when they got, she was climbing up this boulder, there was a big yellow building. Hmm. And she described it the same color as I saw the mushroom. And she was taken into that. Same year? And then there was another one, like I had a band. And, you know, we were talking about our background, and I always talk about my phenomena. And I asked him, I said, you ever have any really strange dreams? I didn't tell him what I was hinting at. He says, yeah, well, I used to live up there by Cortona Park. I said, what? Cortona? I said, oh, you ever have any strange dreams about that? He says, yes, I was running from this huge, and he describes this yellow, same yellow, bulldozer that was chasing after. I said, well, what happened? He says, I don't know. I think it caught me. Hmm. So years later, I'm meeting people. And even though they're not saying they saw the big mushroom, and even though they're not saying they went to Claremont Park, they're saying they went to Cortona Park. So they're on the east side. Be just a dream if these people who didn't know each other were having the same experience that basically I had, but on the west side. The abductions of Posey Gilbert. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. Order your one-month supply of Super Tea and GI Joy today from GetTheTea.com. This Super Tea is specifically formulated to cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. And of course, the colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. 
The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. Life Change Tea is not the same tea that you buy in the store off the shelf. Life Change Tea is eight powerful herbs blended together to maximize your health. You also get 60 capsules of the GI Joy, which contains colostrum, which helps to assist in maintaining a healthy digestive tract. It also helps maintain a healthy immune system. Super Tea and GI Joy from Get The Tea for a healthy digestion and a healthy immune system. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Consult your healthcare professional before using this product. If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, do not use without consulting a healthcare professional. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Posey Gilbert stays with us. He's a well-known UFO experiencer, a lifetime experiencer who has appeared on national and local TV and newspapers, conferences, talking about his many experiences in his videos of UFOs over mid-Brooklyn. He's a talented musician, writer, filmmaker, was the co-producer along with the late and equally gifted Carolyn Barnes of the Space Bridge cable TV show over 10 years, and he is the co-founder of the Moonstruck Group in the city of New York for experiencers. Uh, Posey, so you were saying just before the break that uh, you believe what they were doing, these we're uh, entities, them. were tagging you. Yes, because um, when I ended up leaving the Bronx, basically, I don't know if you knew about it up there, but back in the Reagan days, they were talking about how bad the South Bronx had deteriorated, which it had. Basically, it looked like a war, bombed-out war zone. Sure, we remember the Fort Apache, the Bronx movie with yeah, Paul Newman. Yeah, that's where I'm from. Yeah, Fort Apache, okay. Yeah, and uh, it's not as bad as they say it was. Never Brooklyn is. Brooklyn was much worse, believe me. But... um I had to leave there because basically they were burning down the landlords or the slumlords were burning down their own houses. And they were hiring people to do it. Well, I moved to Brooklyn. But see, okay, I say I moved out here because of that, but I didn't know that this was part of, I'll say, the guy's plan. Because when I got out here, that was when I was finally able to start taping them. They would let me videotape them. When you say videotape them, do you mean the craft or the actual entities? The craft. Okay. I have problems with the entities. Um, you know, I've seen the human ones. And like I say, there's the, there's the one, I met a woman when I was six years old, the story I was telling before. Um, when I went into that room and I was laying down and the window was facing to the uh, southeast, I saw what me and my brother used to call the walking stick walk out on the roof in broad daylight. And I'm like, said, I'm like maybe a quarter of the block away from, and I'm thinking to myself, don't she know that they'll kill her if they see her? And it's like she heard my thoughts, and she swivels her head toward me and looks, looks right at me through the window from the rooftop that she's on, and says, I'll just simply make them not look at me. And then the sound went down in, of the world, went down in the room, and all of a sudden these little strange-looking black hands started coming from up under the bed, under the bed and going back. I rolled up against the wall. It felt, the, again, with the four fingers, it felt up and down the side of the bed and went slowly back down, and the bed gave a sudden shudder, 
lifted up and moved away from the wall. And then I rolled to the middle of the bed. And the hand came up on that side, did the same thing. And the bed did that little shudder again, moved back to the wall, sat down. This part I don't understand. I crossed my hands over my chest, left over right, just like they put the mummy in a tomb, and I laid back down. Next thing, I'm out on the roof, and I'm looking at three human beings. And in the corner of the roof, there's a, uh, looks like a bead of mercury with a pie slice cut out of it. At that door, there's standing a man. He's got platinum blonde hair, very, very light blue eyes, you know. All of them are beautiful. Um, even the men are beautiful, because that's the word you'd have to say they are. Angelic? Nothing feminine about them, but they're beautiful. Angelic, would you describe them as? If I was brought up in the church, which my mother would not do to it, we didn't go to church. We were allowed to make our own decision. I would have thought they were angels. They had on what I would say today is spandex, right. one of the corniest outfits I've ever seen. They didn't have ray guns. They didn't have the bubbles on their heads. They didn't have those pointed, angled shoulders. They didn't have great, big insignias. And uh, I couldn't figure out, how the hell do you get your clothes on? Because there's no zippers, and there's, your boots are made part of, are part of your pants. Again, this is the 1950s, so yes. Yeah, but in the 1950s, you had Buck Rogers with exactly. the lightning bolts, and this is what they're supposed to look like. I just thought they were, honestly, I just thought they were white people. But I knew that they weren't from here. Because first of all, they were too beautiful. Second of all, they were so tall. Now, I stand six foot five, and I know today that if I was this size, I would still have to look up to see them in their face. Now, I'll get, just get back to this real quick because it's very important what's in this happens here. This guy was standing by the door. He had this little thing that looked like a straw coming out of the side of his helmet, which was I thought was st a stupid helmet because it was made out of the same material that his suit was made out of. And it looked like the bucket helmets that the Egyptians wore, you know, like the Egyptian soldiers yes, wore. Yes, yes. And I had no idea what that was. You know, today I know, you know, you see him on stage all the time. But that's what they had. He had something like he could hear through it and a, a microphone to speak in, but it was a very antiquated Bluetooth, I guess you'd call it now. And now, right in front of me, there was another guy. He had on the same outfit, but I could see he had very, very, very blonde hair, almost gold, and extremely, intensely blue eyes. But he, again, was not the main one. All they, the men ever did was look at me, smile, and then they would be like watching. I guess they were looking to see if somebody was approaching. But in front of me, there was this woman. She's the only one that spoke. And she was just like the men, very, very muscular, but she did not look like a man. You know, you see these muscle ladies, and they look like men. And when we get muscular, we get very squat like gorillas, but they were very tapered and tall, and they just their movements were just graceful. And she was trying to talk to me. But I wasn't paying, and it being a little boy from the 50s, who pays attention to an old woman, you know? Right. He's trying to talk to me, and I'm just looking at the guys with these stupid suits on. And she finally catches my attention by saying, this is the universal number. And she rolls this, her hands taught me, she has like, it looks like a lady's contact. That's what I first thought it was. But let me describe the woman. She didn't have a helmet on. 
but she had all of this long, long, long hair. It was like a reddish hair, but I've never seen humans with that kind of hair yet, with all these strange hair colors, nothing like that. And her hair was so long, I would say it went to the back of her calves. And I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering, is that real hair? And what would it feel like? But I wouldn't dare touch it, you know? Right. She had these intensely green eyes, very large, too. That's another thing. But they weren't scary large. They were just large eyes. That's all. Very pretty. And she rolls her hand toward me, and that's when I noticed the difference between their hands and ours. Now, I don't know if it's that they have lower, um, they don't have any webbing between their fingers, or it's just that being because they're so so big, their joints are longer. You know? Right. But um, she has this disc, and it has a circle. It looks like a symbol inside con- three concentric circles. And she says, this is the universal number. With it, you can see the future, the past, and the present. It can be changed. It can change any number, but it can't be changed by any number. Hmm. And then she says, by adjusting these, and she starts moving. the. Then I see she can move those little, they weren't just etchings. They were like little gauges. And she says, by aligning this, you can see other levels of your universe. And I says, she then pushes it toward me. I say, this is for me? And she says, yes, this is for you. And I, of course, grab it. The moment I grab it, my mother's screaming at me from the door, why don't you wake up? And to show you how real this, quote, dream was, I started scrambling around. It's nighttime now, which has never happened with me. I don't sleep during the day. I'm scrambling around the covers, and I go into a fit because it's not here. And my mother said, what are you looking for? And I said, it's the universal number. Now, meanwhile, I'm crying and, you know, tears and snot and the whole nine yards. The woman on the roof gave me the universal number. She said I could have it, but she lied to me. She took it back. She said I had it, and my mother, again, Knowing me, she said, look, I told you, when you wake up in the bed, it's a dream. So stop acting, you know, stop acting stupid before your father thinks you're crazy. You know? Right, right. And Did you ever meet that? It. But now, just the trick about this universal number. I found out what it was. I later found out what it was. Oh, really? Yes. And the reason I found out about it, remember John Lennon's um, song, The um, Strange Days Indeed? Yes. Yes, he had a I UFO. Saw the same UFO. You saw the same one as he did. Yes, and Muhammad Ali also saw it that same day. How were you able to verify it was the same day? Because it, I was reading it in an um, article in um, I think it was Look Magazine or something. Okay. But see, I didn't know that. I didn't know what they saw. I thought it was like uh, you know when they said they saw a saucer. They didn't have pictures. No. The one that I saw the picture of was the one that John Lennon's um, girlfriend drew, which was the same thing that I saw. This was when he was with May Pang. They weren't living in the Dakota. They were living, were down in Greenwich Village? No, they were living in the Dakota. In the Dakota? Oh, they were in the Dakota then? Yes. Okay. And this thing was very low, and that was his point. When I saw it, I was looking straight. I was living in the projects, and I was looking straight off at the thing. Okay. So this is now the 1970s? Yes. Now, the thing of it is, is that... I'll just give a quick description of it. It had a ring of lights around it. It was dancing, bobbing, and weaving. But when it would flip up, 
on its side because it rolled flip up and point its bottom toward us, and it would flash these three points of light below it. So you would see a circle of light with a triangle in the middle of it. And they sent a jet for this thing. And I, the first time I ever saw a jet fighter, but it didn't have any, like it didn't have the American, you know, the, the Air Force symbol on it. Right. It was just a silver jet, but you could see the rockets under it. And this thing just suddenly stops and says, like, like it's waiting for it. Yeah, okay, well, let's see what you're going to do. And when it got close to it, it just flares up, and it looked like it stretched like a rubber, uh, like a luminous rubber band, and just shot off. Again, with my band now, I met a young lady who was in the other project. She saw it from a better angle, and she said to her, when the jet came to it, she just saw it disappear. But to us, we saw it flare up and turn into like a plasma that stretched right, right. and shoot off. Okay. Okay, now, the point of it is, Again, I'm telling you this because there's, I was given signals and I didn't know what it was. But anyway, I go back to work that next day and I'm talking about it. And I said, did you see the, hear about the UFO, blah, blah, and everybody laughed at me. And one guy who knew me, he knows I'm a logical guy. He says, Posey, think about it. You can't just come in and say you saw a flying saucer and expect people to believe. you got to have proof. And it was while he had said that, you know, I worked at the Federal Reserve, and I was, I was at that time I was a currency um, destroyer. And I was doing my work, and I'm thinking about what he said. And I said, yeah, proof. But you, they never leave you with any proof. What about that stupid universal number? You know, she said that I could have it, then she took it away. And then I started thinking about what she had said. This is the universal number. It can change any number, but it can't be changed by any number. What the hell is that? I dealt with that number every day, point oh. Point Depending oh. on where you pin, put it, it changes the value of whatever you put it next to, but itself, you can't, it never changes. Ah, right, right, right. Okay, and I said, oh, well, coincidence. What was the other? Oh, well, that you can see the future and the past and the present. Well, yeah, how does that prove anything? And then I thought again, wait a minute, well, where I'm sitting at, in time, I can remember a past, and I can perceive there is something of a future. So where am I sitting in the, where am I situated in time? Point O. But because time is changing, there is no real such point in time that time is ever still. Therefore, time does not exist. It's an illusion. Wow. Hmm. Boom. Okay. Two point oh. Okay. What was that third one? Oh, by adjusting these levels, by adjusting these, and when she was moving to the little gauges, yes. you can see any level, other levels of the universe. I said, well, that's no way in the world that you can ever prove that nonsense because you haven't got the little unit to adjust anything. And then I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. Thinking about light energy, depending on the pulse, the space in the beam, depends on whether it's ultraviolet, infrared, radio wave, TV wave, right. x-ray. Mm -hmm. In that thing, she gave me a lesson of quantum physics. And then it dawned on me, when she said she gave me the universal, she wasn't giving me the device, she was giving me 
a concept, their way of seeing the universe. Now, understand, when me and Ralph were growing up, we were discussing these things. In the 1950s. And nobody paid attention. I'm, I'm six years old, Ralph's five years old, and we're talking about time olds and time and timeies. We gave them names. Ralph would call them figments. You know? So who's going to listen to that? But what we were discussing, we later found out when we watched Nova one night, we were discussing quantum physics at five and six years old, mm. but in children's terms. So who would think that something that made so much sense to us in five and six years old would really come to be a real physical manifestation in our world? So again, those were not dreams. Now, as for that symbol of the universal number, right? Right. Remember when, when um, what do they call it, crop circles? And I thought it was funny that you'd mentioned crop circles in your commercial. Yes. Um, when they first came out. One of the first cop circles ever made was what? Point O. I hadn't realized that. It was a big circle with a little, what they call grape shot next to it. Okay. And that's what that's that was the one with Colin Andrews. Okay. But then there was uh, another researcher. Um, what was his name? George Winfield, I think his name was. He had this crop circle from Germany. So, you know, I went when I first heard them talking about after I saw the crop circle, I had to go down and, and tell them what that one with the point O meant. So, so uh, Posey, because we're almost out of time here, let me just uh, see if I can sort of summarize this. This universal number, th- the entity was was basically explaining to you how they were able to travel through space and space. time? how they were able to travel to space, how they understand this is the basis of the universe. She was giving us what we're now calling it quantum physics. But this this is what we were given when we were five and six years old. Sounds and like... Sounds like... point in this, yes. they found a crop circle in Germany that had the symbol in it. That's what George Winfield found. But the difference is the circle had the symbol stuck to the outside of it, which meant it meant what I call reality or um, the I call it the I am the T, the reality. So it moved that to say that when he asked me, well, what does this mean? I said, well, this symbol that they gave me, she gave me, that's like, I just had to put it as God before the universe, you know, before there was anything. I got to go, but we're going to do yeah. this again. Posey Gilbert, thank you for joining me. Thank you, George. We'll talk soon. Have a good one now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.